God. You may be seated. What great reminders. Well, good morning. Um, as we continue in our series uh, in Luke's gospel, and uh, once again we're coming back to the, the prodigal son story from Luke chapter 15, and so I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 just again as a setting of where we are and what's happening, uh, and then I'll pick up in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, that's 1039 in your pew Bible if you are following along uh, that way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And now picking up in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us celebrate, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as Sam has already prayed that um, your spirit would 
uh, give us ears to hear this passage as we come to it once again. May we not come to it from a, a position of familiarity, but Father, would you uh, help us to see new things, nuanced things, things that we would have passed over in reading quickly, uh, in attempting to, to finish the reading. Would you help us to dive into the depths and discover the riches of, of, of even the words that we just sang? That our sins are so many, but your mercy is more. Father, that we would see these things. Help us to meditate on them today and every day. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning, we're continuing in our series in Luke's Gospel. And uh, we're, we're again specifically continuing in this all-familiar story of the prodigal son. And we've said over the last few weeks that it is important to understand perspective. Perspective is so important, and Jesus was the master of this with his parables. We remember that, uh, as we read at the beginning, what set these stories off was that the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are, are grumbling and they're saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Something that, that, uh, that you would not do. You would not eat with someone of, of a low estate or somebody of, a, of, a, of a, uh, an outward sinful lifestyle or profession. And so Jesus begins to tell these parables or one parable, really, if, if you remember last week. We saw that it's one parable with three different images. It's, it's, it's the image of the shepherd chasing after the lost sheep. It's the woman that's searching for the lost coin. And now, again, we're looking at the prodigal son. And the prodigal son has these three perspectives in the story. And so we read ourselves into the role of the father. How would we feel if this had happened to us? What would we do if we were in the position of the Father? How would we react? And, and we're seeing how loving and, and, and forgiving and gracious the Father was. And we see in him the character of God towards his repentant child. The joy of the Father when a lost one comes home. And this morning we shift our perspective, as it were, from the father to the younger son. The younger son for whom the modern heading of this story is known, the prodigal son, the lost son. And I want us to, before we get to the text, I want us to picture the crowd that, that is gathered around and, and, and is listening to Jesus tell his story. I want us to picture the, the tax collectors and the sinners despised by the Pharisees and the scribes, viewed as, as completely unrighteous and irredeemable, ones who are so desperate for grace in, in, a, in a stifling and oppressive religious community. And the Pharisees and the scribes, assured in their, in their, in their self-confidence, assured in their self-righteousness. And they're being drawn into the parable with the story of the shepherd and the story of the lost coin and now this family story. Picture the, that tension in this gathering of people. It would be like having a conversation about the vaccine today. Lots of opinions. Very stressful. 
Now let's look at this together, at this story from the perspective of the younger son. Obviously, some of you are still having stressful conversations about the vaccine. I can tell the tension is palpable up here. But I want us to look, as we look at this younger son, I want us to look at it from the three phrases or or paraphrases that come uh, uh, from his own mouth. First, he says, uh, give me what I want. Give me what I want. Give me what is coming to me. Second, he, in, in a sense, says, see me in my need. See me in my need. And finally, he says, take me back as one of your hired servants Give me what I need. You know, tradition in that day was that the older brother would receive two-thirds of the inheritance of the family estate. And the younger brother would have received one-third when the father dies. So the younger son's coming to the father and saying, give me what is coming to me. We said this last week. Is saying to him, to the father, you are as good as dead to me. Or, or, or I wish you were dead. Give me what I want. Give me what is coming to me when you die. It is the worst insult a child could give. It says you mean less. You mean nothing to me. You mean nothing to me. You are worth more to me dead than alive. And Jesus wants us to see the mirror of the human condition in this. I unfortunately think that this is our biggest problem. It's our biggest issue that we face today. It's the biggest issue that we face every day. People who treat God like this. Their relationships with other people because of this will be so warped and distorted People who keep insisting that people are generally good or inherently good and then they blame depravity on something other than the human condition and they are just going to keep running around in circles looking for the next thing to blame, the next thing to hold responsible. Gracious, look no further than our own city. When local political leaders hold anything and anyone else responsible except for the people who are perpetrating violence and and, and criminal behavior and whatever it may be. The problem is that this mentality is not exclusive to unbelievers. It, it, It is a view that is held in many professing churches. If we have a weak view of original sin, if we have a weak bad view of the fall, then we will have a weak, incorrect view of grace and of mercy. And therefore, what Christ did on the cross of Calvary loses its power. It loses its impact. If you minimize sin and and, and our rebellion against a holy and a righteous God, it undermines the gospel. You see, Jesus is showing us the fallen natural condition in which we all find ourselves. We want to be independent of God in our natural condition. We we want to live our lives in our natural state. We don't want God to interfere with our lives unless it is something good. 
right? But, 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 but then we will refer to it as luck or, or good fortune. I, I heard that from a believer the other day. I, I'm afraid my luck is going to run out. And I thought, oh, <clears throat> forgive me, Lord. <laughs> but think about it. When something bad happens, when you say, well, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't he do anything? Why won't you do something, Lord? It's the same reason people are more than happy to believe in a heaven. But the idea of hell is too terrible. It's the concept that we want all the blessings. We want all the, all the good things and none of the consequences. None of the consequences for being disobedient or rebellious, again, against a holy and righteous God. And that is the picture of this boy. It's what Friedrich Nietzsche said. There cannot be a God because if there were one, I could not believe that I was not he. And so this boy does not go to a nearby town with his father's wealth, with his, father's, with his inheritance money. He goes to the far country. And he ends up in the far country in deep need. Now, the original hearers of this parable would have recognized that language that Jesus was using of far country. That phrase would have rung with such great familiarity because it was used again and again of the people of Israel as God had come to them in judgment, as they sinned against him and he had taken away from them their most precious uh, possessions that they had and sent them, as he promised he would, into the far country. Because he knew that it was only when they were empty of their own resources that they would even begin to think that there was possibility that there was enough food to spare in the house of the Heavenly Father. And Jesus is telling, this, telling us this narrative in order to show us that even though God is not mentioned in this story, He's everywhere in this story. He's everywhere in this story. Listen to how one writer put it. It's really a story about how God works in an individual's life to providentially cause our dearest aspirations to disintegrate like dust in our hands and experience what some call the severe mercy of God. How many stories have we heard or seen ourselves of family or friends or brothers and sisters, even within the, the body here, the church. And it's amazing to hear of the, the severe mercy of God in each of our lives. Give me what is mine. And he gets everything. But at the end of the day, he has, he realizes, absolutely nothing. And so he begins to cry to God See me in my need. See me in my need. Give me what I want, and now see me in my need. And here he's in the far country. 
And Jesus gives the, this picture of the boy, instead of being free, which is what he wants so desperately, he has actually become a slave. He's serving in the fields with pigs. And for Jewish people to hear that, the, the pigs were disgusting. And he wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating. It's horrible. He's become a slave. And we see that happens with people. They become slaves in their, in, their, in their desperate efforts for independence. They become addicts. They become slaves to these things. But Jesus isn't just speaking about these types of people. He's talking about us, ourselves. How is it possible to be in the far country where you are far away from God and you have no spiritual resources? I, all of us have had our far country moment, or perhaps longer than a moment, where we were cut off from spiritual resources, either in an attempt to be independent, or we made the excuse that we were too busy with school, or we were too busy with work, or we were too busy with family. And the first thing off the list of things that we do was church and Christian fellowship. Or perhaps you didn't like the way that Christians were behaving, and so you, in protest, you, you, you stop attending church. You wanted answers that you were not getting. Or you went through a great trial in your life, the loss of a loved one, and you didn't want to be near to God. I think of the countless friends of mine who grew up in the church, and they were involved from, from a very young age, and they cut off their spiritual resources at college or at some phase in their life. And they tuned out the Holy Spirit and they tuned into the culture and the friend groups that they preferred. Lost. Totally lost in the far country. I've had my lost in the far country time as well. And I praise God for, the, for his forcing me to, to live with some young men who, who showed me a better way, who helped me put my train back on the tracks of my life, so to speak. But I wonder if today we were able to look into your heart, what would we find? What would we find about your spiritual condition if your heart, so to speak, in, in, in following the imagery, if your heart was a, a, a GPS or a map, where would you be located? Where would your heart be? This is a question that I ask myself almost every day because though Christ has found me, I know my proclivity to wander. I know my proclivity to get lost. Well, the turning point in this story is in these wonderful words. I think this is really the, the weight that we feel of this is when the Bible says he came to himself. <laughs> There's so much in those few words. Even this boy's physical bankruptcy has not made him come to himself. You know, sometimes we foolishly think that poverty will make us cry out to God. But poverty itself does not make us cry out to God. God could strip us of all of our assets and instead we could become bitter towards God. 
I have seen people do this, church-going people, when they lost everything, and instead of falling on their knees and crying out to God, they held something against God. And they walked away from whatever faith they professed to have, which seemed to be none. And then soon after, all of their other relationships, all their horizontal relationships, completely disintegrated and fall apart. Marriages, children. And it's heartbreaking to witness this. But for this boy, something, some work of kindness and grace allows him to come to himself. And I have to believe this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be reason alone. Reason does not ultimately reveal our spiritual poverty. Only God can do that. And so here he is, coming to himself, and he begins to think, why am I here? Why am I in this condition? How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And he starts to think of what might be his if he returns to his father. Now, you have to think during all of this time of his being a prodigal. Remember, we said prodigal is extravagantly wasteful. During all that time, you have to think in that far country, he would have at least thought of his father and brother. But for some reason, at this time, it gripped him, it captivated him, it moved him. How many of us have been there? We think on these things, we think of God's mercy, we think of how he blesses, but we carry on with whatever it is that we think is best for us, even though we know that it's completely against the will of God. And then at some point, it, it, it enraptures us, it grips us, and it moves us. A friend of mine who grew up in the church, his father was a prominent preacher and teacher, and this boy was a total prodigal, total prodigal, surrounded by, by books and, and resources that were all crying out to him to come home, come home. And finally, it was a little YouTube video of a sermon from John Piper. And he sees this video, and he comes to himself. And he's crushed, and he's convicted, and he puts his faith and his trust in Christ. Why then? Why? What was it? Was that that sermon had so much power and, and ability in it? God only knows. Well, this younger brother sees himself in the mirror, as it were, and, and he sees his great need. He's been pursued and he needs to return home. So he begins by saying, Give me what I want. He comes to say, see me in my need. And then he returns home as we looked at last week. And he's trying to memorize his little speech before his dad. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And this is a great thing. You know that you have come to, to real faith. When all you want to do is to serve. When that would be the highest aspiration in your life. 
that God would just take you in as one of his hired servants. You'd be the gatekeeper. You'd be the, the toilet cleaner for all you care as long as the Lord would let you into his house. You would do anything he wanted you to do as long as you can be in the family. And he's preparing his speech in his head so that he can take that, that even the lowest place in the house, in the family, and the father runs to him and he wraps him up. And the words he gets out, the words he ekes out are, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't even finish the line because the father squeezes him so tightly and shouts over him. Because God the Father through Jesus Christ has no hired servants. And so that moment when you are broken and say, I just want to be hired by you as a servant in the house. The mistake made there is to imply that we can work our way back into favor with him. I heard a person pray the other day that was interceding on behalf of another person who was going through a difficult situation and the person praying said, God, if you would just stack up all the good things they have done and credit those things towards a miracle for them. That is not how God works. That implies that salvation is by works, that, that gifts are based on works. It's not a game. He, he takes us in on his own terms. He does the things he does on his own terms. He only has sons and daughters, never hired servants. It's what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that God has not given us a spirit of fear or terror of slavery to bring us back into bondage. But he's given us the spirit of his son through whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. And in this marvelous way, the only thing the younger son ever wanted to ask of his father that the father refused to give him was to be a hired servant. Because the father wanted him to be a son. It's funny that Jeremy was sharing that story of... of uh, spending time with his friend who was wrapped with sin. I read this quote the other day, and it reminded me of all this in line with that, that, that Jesus is more full of grace than I am of sin. And some of us are too afraid to come to him because we doubt that he has as much grace as we need for pardoning our past sins. We think we're too far. Nothing could be further from the truth because he is more full of grace than we are of sin. And his arms remain open for those who come to themselves, to use the phrase, no matter how many times that is. And you have this picture, as we did at the beginning, as we pictured this, this gathering, those gathered around to hear Jesus, the outcasts and the tax collectors and the sinners, the ones who are so desperate for grace, the ones who have come to themselves 
And they aren't sure what God the Father thinks of them. The Pharisees have said that they are a hopeless case. But Jesus says to them, this is the character of the Heavenly Father. And I could only imagine their hearts are bursting inside of them at the unbelievable thought of this reality. All of this reminds me of a story I shared years ago of Robert Robinson. You may not be familiar with the name. He grew up in 18th century England. His father died at a young age when, when Robert was quite young. And Robinson fell in with a, a bad crowd. And, and one night he sort of stumbled into a church meeting where George Whitfield was preaching. And they were going there to, to, to heckle Whitfield. But instead, Robinson is convicted by the message. And eventually, he, he comes to saving faith. He puts his trust in Christ. And then he sets off to become a minister. And soon after, he writes the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And then later in his life, he's going through a, a great struggle in his faith. And there's a, a woman, there's a story of a woman who's sharing a stagecoach with him. And she keeps humming the tune, or perhaps she's singing the lyrics, I can't remember. And she keeps asking him over and over again, do you like this song? Do you like this song? Do you like this song? Finally, he's just crushed and he's embarrassed. And he says, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. (laughs) Because the man who wrote prone to wander, was prone to wander. But thankfully, this man who knew his condition and felt it, again gave his heart to the Lord, and before he died, at a relatively young age, was sealed for the Father's courts above. Here's the twist in this story of the prodigal son. It's the boy who was far from home who came nearest to the father's heart. And as we will see next week, Lord willing, it was the boy who stayed at home that was actually in the far country. So brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge that we are prodigals. Let us acknowledge and see our need. Let us cry to him in, in, in claiming that, see me in my need. And see how he stretches his arms for us. First, his arms stretched out in agony on the cross. Then stretched around us in his risen grace to say, My son, my daughter, come home, come home, come home. Or perhaps you are in the far country And you hear the voice calling you home. Remember these words. Nothing in my arms I bring. Only to your cross I cling. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is for us to forget who we were and what we came from. We've said this before, but we think of how Paul is constantly writing, and such were some of you, and such were some of you, remembering that we were prodigals. 
And if we put our saving trust in you, we, we have that forgiveness and we have that redemption, but it is not a, a once and for all moment for us. It's a, it's a life of confession of sin, of pleading for forgiveness. But the promise is always there that it's there for us. That, that it was Christ's death that was once and for all. And that he paid and atoned for our sins, past, present, and future. But may we not be the prodigal who remains the prodigal, who keeps going even further out into the far country, but that we would come to ourselves, that your spirit would open our eyes. And Father, for those of us in this room who have loved ones who are in that place, we pray that they would be broken and that you, Lord God, would help them come to themselves, that they would see their need for grace, that they would see their need for redemption and forgiveness, that these are real things. We can't waste this life. Give those of us who are ministering to these people wise words to speak. Help us to hold our tongue when we don't need to speak. Father, that we would consider that joy that was before the angels when that repentance sinner returns when that son returns, when that daughter returns. Father, help us to have that joy. For we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.